Retro Hangover, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Stustle Smash the Milkman, Katie Quig, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Laguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Lunchbox, aka The Disgruntled Gamer, Disca Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Parallax Puddles, Soha, Dave Jackson, Matt, aka Stormy Get It. Retro Overdrive, Van Fernal, Keith Gasper, Eric Guess, Kayla Jackson, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, Ash Event, Alan Bingham, Storm Beagle, Ryan Player One, Mike the Ref from Backbreaker Gaming, and B Ross from Super Garbage Day. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Welcome to the podcast, where we obviously obfuscate official oddities oozing occurrences of oxygen and osmosis. This is Retro Hangover. I'm your co-host, Chris Copeland, with, as always, your host, Shane. Scrab Dick Cake I believe this is one of the few times where the episode-specific Dick Dragon moniker sounds way too close to some actual venereal disease, and I I think I'm concerned about that. I think there's going to be a theme of that Mm. throughout this episode. I feel like I contracted a venereal disease playing this game. (laughs) Wow, we're just... (sighs) I think I just... All right, cards on the fucking table. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. I'm not supposed to be that blunt, am I? I mean, not not initially, but I mean, you know, it's fine. You know what? Fuck it. We're setting the tone, the expectation for for the rest of the episode. And given given, by the way, that if if I recall correctly, this was a patron selected topic, was it not? Oh, it was. Yes, it uh, was. Well, then that means that there are, I I would imagine, at least a few people. Coincidentally, people who are, in fact giving us their hard-earned money every month uh, that like this game and potentially may not be giving us their hard-earned money every month after this. Who knows? I don't know. But it's going to be wild one way or the other, I'm sure. I mean, we're going to have... We're going to... Someone's going to have fun. Someone. I mean, we didn't, but maybe maybe someone. (sighs) But this topic, yes, is a Patreon suggested topic nominated topic it was nominated by stud still smash the milkman as i say every single episode if you are a patreon of the retro hangover podcast at a certain tier i think it's three dollar tier you do get a shout out 
but you can join for as little as $1 a month if you want to remain more incognito and vote on polls like our Patreon game of the quarter. We do these things quarterly. I think I already said month, but it is quarterly. And Stud Still Smash is at a tier where he can nominate games. And this is what the patrons voted on. It was almost Persona 4. I kind of wish it was Persona 4. Yeah, you know, I was complaining about that. I love Persona 4. Because I was just like, man, I really don't want to play like an 80 hour RPG. I I don't have time for that. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I feel like maybe that would have been okay. Yeah. And everyone who's coming here and was thinking to themselves, you know what? I rely on the Retro Hangover podcast to give fair and impartial reviews. Those are the people I think we are really letting down right now because I, I think is there anybody that thinks that <laughs> at this point? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there are. I, I, I have been told I, that on the Dark Souls episode that I gave some good and fair criticism and I was very objective. So maybe maybe they do think that is that. true. But uh, I mean, honestly, I think that that was necessary because you were really just balancing things out. I think so. I yeah. think so. But I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to be too negative because we have we have some intro things to do for people who love waffles. So if you want <laughs> to hear the waffling, you can stick around because we are going to talk about the games we have been playing lately as we are want to do. Normally, we are want to have a guest. We do not have one for this episode. It's just me and Shane, obviously. So, Shane, mm. what have you been playing lately? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, what what have I been playing lately? I don't I don't know. I don't I don't feel like it's much. I, I, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, but I, I finally jumped ship from the Apple walled garden and went back into the, the sweet, sweet embrace of Android after God, I don't even know least 10 15 years now i was kind of sort of an early adopter of android way back in the day and it i just kind of got fed up with it because i didn't feel like it was really in a good place yet and so i jumped over to iphone and it was arguably at the time the better choice i I think iphone was in a better place but at this point it just enough was enough i never want to go to a genius bar to get my damn phone fixed at any rate I have an Android now, which has opened up the Google Play Store to me, as far as new new games to check out and, and whatnot. There have been some good ones. Um, there's actually there's an app called Mini Review that I highly recommend if you are interested in mobile gaming at all, because it keeps up with game releases and provides like reviews and scores and recommendations on like actually decent games because let's be honest, the Google Play Store especially, um, and this is endemic for like you know pretty much any digital storefront i think at this point but there's a lot of shit you know it's just like a ton of shovelware garbage and mobile is even worse because like 95 percent of it is all just microtransaction hell so having some sort of guide as to what to actually put your time into is helpful this is a very long lead up into what I actually have been playing, and there's one that I do want to recommend. It's called Slice and Dice, and if folks are not familiar with that, it's this really great dice-based roguelike game, and you have a set party of like five characters, and it's your typical sort of diverse party of, you know, your D&D party. Each turn against enemies is basically all determined by dice rolls, but it's not just normal dice. Like, they're dice that have like class specific like each you have one die for each of your characters and you roll them all together 
and each face of the six-sided die for each of your characters has different abilities. And so that's sort of the random nature of it. And you get two re-rolls. So it's a little bit like, um, it's like Yahtzee, right? Where like you can hold certain dice and then re-roll the others. And you can do that here as well. And so you kind of re-roll to get the best skills from, you know, the selection you have on the die. And then you use those strategically to fight groups of enemies in like turn-based combat. It's actually really well done. Um, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And there's a lot of like upgraded classes to unlock. So as you go through a run, when you level up, you get to basically job change one of your characters into a a better class so like the rogue for example when you level up you could choose to turn your rogue into like a specialized archer or you go even further down the roguey path and make it sort of like an assassin that gets like stealth abilities and stuff and it's just really well executed and on top of that it's like there's one in-app purchase for seven dollars i think it is and it unlocks the whole game and removes any of the like ads and to be clear there are no forced ads in the game you can choose to watch an ad to get like a little bonus or whatever but it's nothing that's required but to get the full game that's that one cost for seven bucks and i think it's actually really well worth it um especially in the sea of trash that is the mobile gaming sphere uh this is one that i would actually really recommend that's actually worth your money and your time so there you go. Mini, mini rapid fire review for you there. But, uh, but slice and dice. That's kind of, I think, one of the things I've been putting time into lately. Also Diablo 4, because season two is still going. But, of course, I haven't done as much of that as I'd like. So, Okay. Yeah. I'll have to check out slice and dice, I guess. It's pretty cool. You said dice a lot, and that concerns me. <laughs> Why is that? Last time I played a game that involved dice, it was Disco Elysium. And- oh. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not like that at all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know a lot of people like Disco Elysium, so I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on that. Uh, let me get into what I've been playing. I have been playing South Park, the Stick of Truth as Uh, part of the Retro Hangover review crew. And it was just the game that I needed. (laughs) It's an easy game. It's a funny game. And it's just like an episode of South Park. and. Those things were the perfect video game that I needed in these trying times. And I mean, my trying times is like I went from Dark Souls to a quick reprieve with Aladdin, but it wasn't you know very involved because both of those games are short than this game. So the game of today, I, uh, Odd World here. And so South Park was a, a very, very, very welcome breath of fresh air. And if you're wondering, have I touched Final Fantasy Origins since the last time you have heard my magnificent and wondrous voice? Why, no, I have not. I have not touched that game since you last heard me talk about it. I really don't want to go back to it. And one of the reasons, aside from Stick of the Truth being so good, is because I found a a project on the Internet. I actually found it from Pro Jared on YouTube. He's, He's still making videos. He found this project he's been streaming on this Pro Jared Plays channel called the Final Fantasy Renaissance. So I went and I went to go check it out and I streamed it. And I think I'm going once I'm done with the stick of truth and if I find some time to play for the next game du jour, I'm considering streaming it. So if you've seen me stream on off days, some Final Fantasy Renaissance, that's that's because I'm thinking about it because I had a lot of fun on that stream. 
just with the different classes and just playing it differently. Oh, it's so fun. And the way you get it is you have to join their Discord. So type it into a, a search bar and type in, you know, Final Fantasy Renaissance and you'll find their Discord link and you can go join it. No one's paying me or encouraging me to advertise this. It's the original Final Fantasy for the NES. And there's two options. You can play the original NES mode with all of its coding shortfalls fixed. So I, I can't remember the specific shortfalls it has something to do with Vade and some of the the nullification elements for the spells, which is actually pretty fucking important. Well, they, they fixed all those and it's not a ROM hack. It's the game just completely rebuilt all in unity. And then there's also a mode called Renaissance mode, which adds a bunch of different classes to the mix. And I'm playing with all new classes. And one of them is Bard. And I fucking love the Bard. Because you talk to people and you learn new songs by talking to NPCs in, in the towns. And you also have the Dark Knight, which can never hit, but it does a ton of damage. And like a Lancer slash Dragoon, which does a ton of damage. And like this white mage alternate called a green mage. I don't know what they specialize in quite yet. I'm figuring it out. But anyway, it's a, it's a really fun take on the original Final Fantasy. Uh, that isn't a ROM hack, and it's a lot of fun. So if you enjoy that, I highly recommend you go check out Final Fantasy Renaissance. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. It did crash on me once, but, you know, uh, all three games I've been playing lately, they they have a tendency of, of crashing on me. So only once is fine. I've been having a <laughs> I mean, good time. Know. Maybe that just sounds like a you problem. I think I, I do think it's a me problem <laughs> in, in, in this case. It's a variety of factors. But you know what, Shane, I'm I'm ready to just to rip the bandage off and talk about Oddworld. How about yourself? Oh, I mean, yeah, man, because let's embark on this odyssey. Let's just let's, huh. let's, let's get it going. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chris, I mean, he seems like you're ready. So, you know what? Sure why don't, why don't you give the people a brief history of Oddworld Abe's Odyssey? This is Rupture Farms. I think many of us have certain games in mind when we think of cinematic platformers. Flashback, Another World, the original Prince of Persia. These games are often looked upon fondly in history by those in gaming. But this is a genre that was rather reserved and niche, and there were very few titles of note that tried to imitate that style. Not before long after the time of their release was it common to really find any games that would resemble that style. It's January 1995, and a game called Soulstorm is being developed by a small studio called Oddworld Inhabitants. This game would be taking direct influence from Prince of Persia in terms of its gameplay. Deliberate yet fluid action that would require careful and precise inputs as you traversed environments. While in development, GT Interactive would acquire publishing rights and had the name changed to something new and tasty. Oddworld Inhabitants, Epic One, starring Abe. This may have been too on the nose that has included the name of the dev studio, so the name was changed to Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. Aside from an executive at GT Interactive that tried to sabotage the game and have it cancelled, that resulted in the game receiving a higher budget, ironically, Oddworld's development, led by director and developer founder Lorne Lanning, reportedly went incredibly smoothly despite it being the studio's first major project. 
The game was first shown at E3 96 in private showings, before being shown to a larger scale audience at E3 1997. The game would release for the PS1 on September 18th, 1997 in America and Europe, with Japan receiving it a month later in October. Reviews were overwhelmingly positive, or more universally, with many critics pointing out the game's clever platforming and puzzles, as well as having superb graphical animation. However, critics also said the game's difficulty was incredibly high and kept the game from reaching its full potential. The game did sell well, selling over a million units by the following January, and it went on to sell over 3.5 million units over its lifetime, which made it the 23rd best-selling game for the PS1. Since then, the game has created its own Oddworld franchise, which includes a sequel and several remakes, the most recent of which, at the time of this episode, was 2021's Oddworld Soulstorm, a remake of the sequel to Abe's Odyssey, Abe's Exodus. And that is your brief history of Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey. The spirits took form. Now my chant had power. Rupture Farm should be worn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Chris, for that brief history. And from all of that, I feel like the only thing that sticks in my mind is, is, is why. Why, why and how? I'm going to go with both. Why and how. Okay. Specifically regarding the reception. I, I just, how? What do you mean? How what? That apparently it was overwhelmingly positive. Yes. I believe it. I believe it. I mean, I'm going to get to why. Yeah. <sighs> I, I can understand it. Well, you have to remember Prince of Persia, overwhelmingly positive. Flashback. That's overwhelming. When that came out, that was like some of the game of the year contender stuff. I can't play that game today. Yeah. 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 I, you know what? I think this is one of those times where it, it can be difficult to to, you know, be be a podcast that is focused solely on retro games, because there, there are times and I think we we generally try to do our best. But there are times where it, it's it's very difficult yeah. to put yourself in that time and place and not look at it from, you know, a, a modern perspective. I mean, part of what we do is ultimately saying like, hey, does this still hold up today? So, I mean, there, there is a part of that. But I, I think, yeah. you know, generally we try to be fairly objective as far as like, oh, well, you know, this might not be great right now, but, you know, you got to remember the time and blah, blah. This, so this is going to kind of just roll into personal experience. So just, I guess, stick with me here. But I, I've never cared a single bit about this game <laughs> or or the series or anything. And I remember seeing a lot of it. Like I, I remember seeing the reviews in PC gamer magazine. I remember seeing the full page ads for it. And not once did I see anything about Abe's odyssey and be like, that looks like a game that I would like to play. Like never. In fact, and it's, I've been trying to figure out how I wanted to articulate this, and I'm still not 100% sure that I'm going to do it right, but it's like this game and I are, are two, two magnetized pieces of metal, except 
it's the kind where you rub them together too much and then they just immediately repel each other. It's it's like that. North and south. It, it's it's like that. It's yeah. it's this is like <laughs> to me, this is like the video game equivalent of like thinking of the like grossest, weirdest thing ever to just like kill a boner. Like I just uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't see. Well, I mean, I don't know. Why I'd have a boner in the first no, place. I'm just, it's it's yeah. Well, especially that's, here. That's true. I mean, I don't know, man. People are into whatever. That's just fine. You can be into whatever you want to be into. But I, yeah, I'm not yeah. kink shaming. No, I just yeah, I mean, I, as a comparison, like I just. Okay, listen, what I'm saying is this game is like the video game equivalent of a limp dick. That's that's really, I feel like what I'm getting at. Okay. I, is that salt, Peter? Uh, what? Is that salt, Peter? Salt, Peter? I don't know. Like, there's this rumor, like, the reason that porn stars get to go so long is because they gave them salt, Peter, before they, they went and, you know, banged out. I don't know. I just assume they were on, like, rumor. massive amounts of, like, Cialis or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But no, I mean, and I, I, it's for the record, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily relish being like immediately relentlessly negative. It's just, I, I, I literally had like a vis, almost visceral negative reaction to this game since I knew it existed like decades ago. I have never once looked at this game and been like, you know what? I should give that a shot. I, I have like actively avoided it. And so here we are <laughs> and I attempted to play it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I noticed that I'm going to have to be a little bit more positive than I, than I felt like I was going to be coming Maybe. into this because I don't want this episode to be, to be all negative here uh, because this was a patron selection. I know people love this. And, okay. To be fair, I do. I do have some positive things to say about it. It's not, not a hundred percent. negative. Oh, yes. But. Yes. Yes. Sure. Yes. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that your experience, your personal experience is very similar to mine mm. because I also saw this game around quite a bit. I saw, you know, everyone talking about it. I remember, you know, when some channels on YouTube talked about it back on the day. Not so much recently, but, you know, there was a, there was a time period. I think it was Cat Icarus who did it. I don't know if Cat Icarus is still a big YouTuber, but like big fan of, of Oddworld. And I still didn't get into it. I know I, I picked up some of the later ones like Munch's Odyssey for my PS3 because I think it was like two bucks or something on sale. Mm. Like, yeah, maybe this is a good jumping off place. I still haven't played it. But I felt kind of the same way that you did. I didn't really see anything that appealed to me. It didn't look like a game I wanted to play. And to be fair, I never really looked into it. I just heard a lot of good things about it. And so when our patrons voted for this episode voted for this game for us to do. I was actually looking forward to this experience. I was looking forward to seeing what the big hubbub was about and seeing what kind of game Oddworld was. I had a general idea coming into it. But, you know, leading up to today, you know, when I started playing it for this episode, I hadn't touched a single Oddworld game ever. I hadn't even seen gameplay of it. But I did manage to beat it. I did play a lot of this with a visual guide with YouTube. And when we get to gameplay, I will explain what forced my hand into that. But I did play it and I did beat it. So I, I'm coming from that perspective. I made it all the way through. Well, shit, you did better than I did. Yeah, I can understand. I'm not I'm not shaming you. Uh, we'll get to that in gameplay as well. <laughs> this was certainly an experience. I'll say that again. I don't want to make this incredibly negative. 
but we, we will certainly get into that. And I guess that's one of the things that is a positive here. I think that we're going to move into next, at least for me. I don't know what your feelings at mm. feelings are on it. The plot and, and the writing. I, I think that this game does a really good job. You are Abe, obviously. I think that's quite apparent because it says Abe's Odyssey. It starts out and it says that you are an employee at a meatpacking plant or a slaughterhouse or what have you. You know, you're, you're killing things and you're, you're making them into products for consumption. And you ran out of one of your little meat products that went extinct uh, because you killed them all, uh, part of this company. And by the way, you're like a slave race. Abe is part of the Mutacons. They're a slave race for some other race, like the Gulaks or the Motocons or whatever the name is. I don't, it doesn't matter. But they're evil people, just evil, you know, corporate overlords, just trying to maximize profits. And so one of the products goes extinct, which was actually a race that was supposed to be in the game, but they ran out of disk space. So they just got rid of it and said it was extinct in the game. You know, quite convenient. So it's like, how do we turn our profits around? Oh, we'll make the slaves who are making the food. We'll turn them into food and start selling it. And Abe overhears this. And Abe now thinks he has to escape and get away. As he escapes, he discovers that he has to save all of his fellow Mutacons or whatever they're called and become their savior or something like that. So I actually I'm really oversimplifying it, but I really think that the way the story is told, the lore in this world, the way it's developed, how dark it is. I think like the writing is actually really good and the way it's presented is actually quite clever. It's cute. It's very, you know, stereotypical, but the way it's told is is somewhat funny because Abe is this unassuming hero like he doesn't really want to be the hero he just kind of figures out like oh look I'm got to do the thing here he's kind of like a smarter butters from from South Park which I'm realizing because I'm playing a South Park game <laughs> but that's Abe and it's I, I do like that part yeah I mean I think I think you actually covered it pretty well I mean that's that is the general plot I will say that I I, I feel like just uh, you know at a at a high level the 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 glucons the the species that you know is kind of the overlords here just feel like maybe that's a bad business slash tactical decision to just like cannibalize your workforce like i just literally it, it literally yeah like i, I just <laughs> i feel like that's very short-term thinking you know they're they don't have the long-term vision in mind no but yeah, no. And OK, so that this is actually one of the things that I do like. And so I think I'm with you on this. Like, I, I actually really do like the premise and I like the world building that the game does. I think it actually does it very, very well. Yes. The intro with and by the way, I, I have a soft spot for like this era of cutscenes, And so I really do enjoy uh, the cutscenes that are in this game. And I know that's kind of bleeding into some other things, but it, they do facilitate the plot quite a bit especially right at the beginning of the game so no i i actually think it does a great job of establishing the world establishing the universe nothing is super super complicated so it's very easy to understand you know abe what his place is in everything and what your motivation is and you know what your goals are and outside of just that like like i said the the actual world itself i think is really it's very well realized and that kind of dovetails a little bit into like the you know graphics and whatnot but no i i actually really do like the, the the overall plot of the game which is kind of a bummer given that 
I don't necessarily like a whole lot else about it. <laughs> Is this where we're going to roll into the gameplay that I'm I'm taking it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, as far as writing goes, I mean, there's not a beyond like it's not much. No, there isn't. I mean, beyond like the initial intro and the cutscene and what have you, there there really isn't too much. You do get some uh, because there are like those those uh, s- digital scrolling text boards that kind of exist throughout the level that have some pretty like well, some of them are just straight up like instructional things on like how to play the game, but. If you pay attention to them, yeah. they also have some some pretty clever, dry humor stuff that uh, that goes up on those little scrolling boards. Oh, they are brilliant. Yeah, I think those are those are brilliant. Yeah, I, I do like those. You, you don't get them a lot because once you once you leave uh, Rupture Farms, which is where you start, mm. which is where the the meat's being made, you, you don't get those. You don't. And like there's this entire part where you're just figuring out you as Abe are figuring out your place in terms of what your race is trying to tell you and how what your place is in the world with the other beings the scrabs and it starts with a p something pies there's two other animals creatures races whatever that you're making into food and you're figuring out that they're part of your like ancient world like everyone got along and or they had their kind of segregated several separate but equal weird shit going on or just the balance of nature however you want to call it i don't know uh i don't you know the best way to put it i probably fucked it up by saying segregation that's probably pretty fucking terrible but <laughs> you know when i look at it like the, the the way that the entire thing is just developed like yeah you you start rupture farms you go to this one place you learn what you're supposed to do you go back to rupture farms to to kill all the glucons or whatever their names are the the evil corporate bastards yeah and uh you go back to kind of just free everybody there's not really much more to that but you do get that dry humor you do get a lot of lore you do get a lot of background in what this world is trying to establish and that that kind of leans into what i read the developers wanted to do was to make it a pentology Mm -hmm. they wanted to make it a five-part series and you see that in the follow-up with you know abe's exodus i think the third one is munch's odyssey and they they didn't do anything beyond that to really continue the story or Something like that, because they, they call some of the games that aren't part of it are called bonus episodes. They're not really part of the full story. So they've kind of not continued it. You could say like in a Shenmue manner or whatever the case might be. But they, they definitely had a grand scope of what they wanted to do with this. Maybe they're viewing Abe as, I guess, fittingly. I mean, it's a it's a religious name is kind of like a, a Moses like character. And getting them out of Egypt or whatever the case might be, if you go biblical with it, which I already said, I, it seems like they are drawing that inspiration. Right. But yeah, I, I do think that there's not much to it, but the, the way that establishes the world is, is fine. And it's actually one of the highlights of this game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like once you get out of rupture farms and you start making your way like into the free fire zone and, and what have you, like when you find what's his name? the shaman big face once you talk to him and then you really get more of like that background lore and like you were mentioning the the forgotten history and culture of the modicons like i think a lot of that lore really opens up at that point and and that's that's really awesome like it is it is a very lore rich game which i feel like you wouldn't necessarily expect off the cuff because i know like i have tried briefly to play this game i think once before and I had no inkling of how 
how deep this ends up going, like as far as 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 like the the background story and the lore is concerned. But there is quite a bit there. So it's it's interesting because I didn't actually know that they were trying to make a, like a pentology out of it. That this, so I guess I could see that they're really trying to set the stage for a lot of that. But yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, I don't know. What do you think? Time to roll into our our next segment. Start talking about some gameplay. Unfortunately, I guess because this is where it's going to get ugly. <laughs> I'm letting you know if you like this game, and I have a feeling Shane's going to go down this route too. By what we've already said, it's going to get brutal. And I'm not going to have a lot of good things to say. So let's let's do this, Shane. Let's let's do it. <sighs> All right. I don't know. Do you want me to start? <laughs> uh, sure. Go for it. All right. Oh, let's see. Hmm. How do how do I want to approach this? So much in the same way that I think a lot of other games in this in this similar vein, like what we've mentioned, like Prince of Persia and another world and some of those other ones, I technically they are platformers, but in my head, I don't consider them that because when I think platformer, I think more of like Super Mario or, or the Sanic or something of that nature. While this is technically a platformer, it just doesn't fit that mold in my brain it's like its own category of like a much more slow methodical platformer, I suppose. And, and honestly, this is, and I don't, I eat God. We, how many episodes in are we now? Like 200 and almost two thirty, something like that. I don't. Yeah. We haven't actually talked about out of this world yet. Right? No. Okay. I can never remember. I'm sure we will at some point. And honestly, I'm probably going to have, some I hope not very similar things to say. <laughs> Please don't make us because <laughs> that was another game that and actually that one, I had a different approach to that one where I always thought it looked cool and could never get into it. So slightly different. But the gameplay in my mind is very, very similar. And I just, I, man, it is a relic of its time. It really, it really is like even when this was relevant in my opinion, it was still kind of difficult to get into. Like there is a, there is a learning curve and honestly, the controls are not necessarily super intuitive. There's a reason I think why there's a lot of in-game tutorials because there's so many different like button combos or specific things that you have to do that there's, there's actually quite a bit to like remember. And I, I think some of it were, they were good ideas on paper mm. i'm gonna say because i can see where they were going with it specifically around some of the things like interacting with the other mudicons right like in order to get them to even apparently want to be rescued because they do not give a flying fuck about you unless you do this when you come across one of them you have to go through this same sequence of button presses every time and for the record i will say i played this i played the playstation version because I attempted to play the PC version and trying to play this game on a keyboard is actually hell. So <laughs> did not do that. Also, fun fact, by the way, the PC version, while it does support game pads, all of the in-game button prompts are still for the keyboard, even when you activate the gamepad. So that's totally not confusing at all. It's pretty gross. Yeah, it's not great. So I actually started playing on PC for about 10 minutes and then was like, nope, and uh, fired up the other version. So that's better because at least I can understand the button prompts in, in the tutorials. But 
it's like these very specific button combinations. They're like, okay, so to talk to a, another Mudokan, in order to get them to follow you, you first have to say hello. This is required every single time. So you have to press a shoulder button and then press another face button to say hello. And then he'll stand up mm -hmm. and say hello. And then you have to press another button combination to say follow me. And then he'll say, okay. And then at that point, now they're going to follow you. And then you have to bring this Mudokan back to a fucking bird portal, I guess. Yes. I did not know what those were at first. I was just like, oh, that's there's a circle of birds. That's weird. And then I finally realized through the tutorials, I was like, oh, so this is what you have to do. So you get them to follow you. You go through that whole process. You get them there. And by the way, if you get too close to said bird portal, the you scare the birds you, you, and they just fly off. And so you need to exit the screen and come back for it to basically respawn. That definitely happened a few times. But as long as you get close enough, then you have to press a third button combination to activate your like chanting mode, mm -hmm. which will then turn the, the bird circle into a portal, at which point... The Mudokan that's been following you will then run to it and jump through the portal and yay, they're saved. That is like the main game mechanic because your whole goal is trying to save them. So you're good. You're going to be doing this a lot, right? So that's why I said on paper, this sounds like it could be interesting because it's like, you know, you have to be very specific. You're role playing as Abe. You're like, I'm going to walk up and say, hi, follow me. I am your savior. Cool. Okay. In practice, it just kind of sucks, like <laughs> having to do this every single time. I don't think it adds a lot, frankly, to the to the experience. If anything, it just kind of becomes busy work. And so that's why I, I feel like it was a good idea in theory, but in the execution of it, I just feel like it ended up being very tedious. So not a huge fan of that. Now, I have some other things to say about the other parts of the gameplay, but I'm going to pause here. So, Chris, what like what are your thoughts on on this part so far? So, as far as the controls, the the controls themselves, I mean, yes, I had issues with the controls, but I, I wasn't as negative on them as as you. I think they were they were pretty basic and once you learned them, they they were okay. That wasn't my problem with the controls. Mm -hmm. Are they intuitive? No. Like you cannot just give this to somebody, not give them an instruction manual or not tell them what buttons are. And they're like, they're not going to be able to figure that out. There, there's nothing about it. It's not like giving them Mario. And even with Mario, you have to tell them to hit, you know, hold down B in order to run. Right. It's right. a similar concept here where if you want to run, you have to hold down, you know, R1 and you can move left to right. And there, there are some very basic functions here that do complement some intuitiveness, but for the most part, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not very intuitive, but once you get used to it and the game is very upfront about this, by the way, it doesn't try to hide the fact that they made this game overly complicated to control, because that's one of the things that you find on the boot up screen right off the get is controls. It's saying, please look at this, please understand you are getting into something you might not be used to and the, the control mechanics themselves are not something like you might be understanding of and like the face buttons have different commands i do think that I, I look at a lot of modern games and i actually think it's a bit forward thinking in some aspects because you know just after especially after playing 
Dark Souls, which had an unconventional control scheme. And a lot, you know, I've heard some people say, well, it leaves the face buttons open to do different functions. You know, Abe's Odyssey does do those things. So I don't want to necessarily hit on the controls and what they're trying to do. But in terms of where the controls, in my, my opinion, fail is like when you are trying to platform and there are places where you have to do a lot of running and jumping to different platforms and like a very fluid kind of thing and and be very, very, very precise. So Abe moves on like you can't see the grids, but Abe moves on a grid. He moves on tiles like everything has to be animated into that tile. And that's where the Prince of Persia influence gets into like you can't just move around like mario there's very specific points on every place on the floor where an action can be performed or cannot be performed so if you're running and you want to jump and you want to you know do a long jump you have to hold down you know r1 and triangle for a running jump so that he can jump further but if you're at the if you hit jump too early you're going to miss your jump or too late (laughs) or too late you're going to miss your jump And that's very easy to do because you have to hit it in very precise places. You have to understand the rhythm of the game. It forces you to do that. And this is a game that doesn't always have rhythm to it. In fact, it's very it it very purposefully does not have a rhythm to it because it's constantly trying to tease you. On top of that, once you do learn the controls, this game is a puzzle game first and foremost. That's what it is. It's not an action game. It does have action elements. I don't think that it does them very well. But every single puzzle has to be solved the way the game wants you to solve it. There's very little room for deviation. Now, there are fun things that you can do, like you can get grenades, you can throw grenades, um, you can do your chant to take over enemies and you can have enemies fight each other. In fact, that's required. You have to do these things. You have to learn how to do them. But like the smallest little mistake that you make will just erase minutes of progress. And you have to keep doing it and keep learning how to do it exactly the way the game wants you to do it with very little room for error until you get it perfectly right. And that's that's something that just gets under my skin. I like a little wiggle room and knowing, hey, if this thing doesn't work out exactly the way I want to, there could be another way for me to accomplish this. This game, Oddworld does not allow you to do that at all. There's a very specific set of instructions. There's a very, like a recipe. It's like everything's like a recipe. It's very specific steps you need to do in order to get past certain segments. And it's very segmented. And if you don't do it the way the game wants you to, you have to reset it. And I don't mean like hard reset. I mean, die. You have to die, reset the entire segment over. And there's, there's, I'm going to pause here too, because that, I have more on top of that, but that's my biggest issue. It's not so much the controls, but how the controls relate into the game world itself and how that game expects you to adapt to it, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. Yeah. And that I, I have the same exact sentiments around that as well. (sighs) Okay. So I, I feel like I should say right off the bat that I'm not generally a huge fan of puzzle games well okay that's not fair puzzle platformers i suppose i should be more specific because there are certain puzzle games like i I love me some fucking puzzle quest but that's like a whole different thing puzzle platformers i've never really been a huge fan of like again in my mind platformer is more action oriented so 
if you're asking me to do these like very plodding puzzle type things, I you you lose me. And this game definitely lost me. But but yeah, as as far as like this part is concerned, that is also one of the other biggest issues I see. And it's probably one of, if not the largest contributor to that very high degree of difficulty that even the the contemporaneous reviewers pointed out yeah because it is so specific uh, this is not like god i don't know what's a good example deus ex that's a great example totally different kind of game but for this purpose it, it fits the narrative because that game is literally built on the idea of giving you many different ways to solve a single problem and this game is the complete antithesis of that. I was thinking about this earlier today, and the best way that I could describe it is I feel like this game took the worst part of adventure games, like point and click games, mm-hmm. and made a whole game about it. <laughs> like they took the very specific, like you need to do this exact thing with this exact item or whatever in these exact steps. Because that's what the devs decided was a cool idea and there's no room for variation. And they took that like design ethos and built a whole game around just that one thing, which kind of sucks. If I'm going to be honest, like, yeah, I I don't, I I don't know how else to put that. Like it's, I've never enjoyed that part of, of uh, that era of adventure games. King's quest and all of those just got ridiculous to that degree of just like hey man you didn't grab this one item like 10 hours ago and so your whole game's fucked like that level of like bullshittery like that kind of stuff taking that and basically making this entire puzzle platformer around like well you better retry the same section like eight times and figure out the one way we wanted you to solve this problem i i don't it does it just doesn't it doesn't jive with me man like i don't know like, I know at the time, you know, this was different and interesting. Um, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to give it some credit. but <laughs> I just well, I mean, look, the thing is, is that there's there's a very specific audience for this. Sure. And I think a lot of the people that are part of that audience happen to be reviewers because cinematic platformers always do review well mm-hmm. if, if they're competently put together. And I will say for what I the very little to know about cinematic platforms because they are definitely not my jam is that this is a very competently put together cinematic platformer. It's very well put together there. It's very deliberate in what you want, what it wants you to do. Of course, Uh, some things I like don't understand just point blank is what you were mentioning about the Mudokans. It's not so much that like they're, you have to like guide them is that you can only guide one at a time. And when a lot of it is clearing out everything and then getting them to follow you, you can't like get a couple of them to follow you when it's when it's pretty evident that they can do it, which makes it, it, it very repetitive and, and more stressful than it is. So, for, for example, with the Mudokans, when you're trying to get them to follow you, there's this one part I remember in the game where there's these dog enemies mm-hmm. that that chase you. And so you you had to come into a room and first of all, you had to start your chant in order to or open a portal that you can jump through, which the game doesn't tell you until like midway through the game that you can do this. I'm going to get to that in a second here, too. But you have to open that up. You have to run off the platform. You have to go to the other side and then you have to jump up on another platform, say hello to a Mudokan, run off, run to the other side, jump up on the platform, tell them to wait and do it two more times for the two other Mudokans 
to to follow you and then they'll jump into the the portal for to rescue them and then you have to run back to the other side and jump into the other portal to get out of there so what does this mean for you the player it means that first of all you have to find this area because there are secret areas that you have to know and by the way if you find these secret areas you don't always get those secret areas saved if you die after you, you complete them you have to go back in and do them but once you find them you have to do everything by trial and error because this game the game expects you to learn everything through you know repeat experience it wants you to keep doing it over and over and over again until you know exactly what to do that does not work with me that does not work with me at all especially if you have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again can that be clever yes there are some very brilliant instances in this game that i thought were were quite clever especially when it came to inhabiting an enemy's body attacking other enemies and how to how to maneuver but it the the biggest thing that sticks with me is the only way you're going to be able to make it through this game is if you do it incrementally there's no way you can blindly run through this game without dying there's no way you can blindly run through this game without repeatedly trying stuff out in order to figure it out. And to me, just point blank, that is bad game design. I know some people like it, but if you have to force people to incrementally make their way through it and crawl through it and say, oh, I can't do this, I can do that, and you have to do it through repeated, repeated trial and error, that just means that you're kind of a dick. I mean, that's, that's, that's fair. I, I think one of the things, and I, I, okay. In the sake of fairness, I did get this a couple of times with this game, but it was very rare. And that is, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, that I, I very much enjoy, like I, I get, I get, I get the good brain chemicals when, you know, mm-hmm. I am able to see a problem presented before me. And of, we're talking specifically with video games, but this kind of applies to just life. but especially with video games, you see a problem presented to you and you're able to logically deduce how to solve it. And then you feel smart for doing it. Like you feel good about it. You're like, hell yeah, I figured that out. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's good. Uh, this game has that on a few occasions, but by and large, it was less that and more of like what you were saying where it's like, fucking, I don't know what to do with this. And then dying like, 10 times to figure it out like that that doesn't feel good that gives me the bad brain chemicals so yeah i don't don't know like i guess it does cater to a specific kind of person um and i know i'm I'm hearing myself saying this right and like (laughs) i know i know that there's there's someone and i'm saying it so now it's definitely going to happen but i know there's at least one person out there that's going to be like shane you're you're a giant hypocrite because you you fucking fanboy all over Dark Souls, and for some reason you don't like this game, even though you could probably draw a lot of parallels as far as like some trial and error are concerned, and that's fair. That's fair. I will take that. Right. I will take that. Um, I will say that I feel like they are different experiences, in that even though I might need to attempt a boss fight in a Dark Souls game several times to master it. I feel like every time I'm making progress and, and, and I'm also free to approach it in my own way. I think those are two 
critical parts of that formula that make it work as as well as it does and and here i don't feel like it's that at all like i feel like you basically slam your head against a wall several times until you finally have some aha moment and then you execute it correctly there's no like incremental progress that i really saw in solving a particular like problem or puzzle it's really just sort of a binary like on off switch it's just like yep i don't get this and then suddenly it's like oh this is what you want me to fucking do okay fine so that's why it feels bad and also coupled with the fact that there is as we mentioned like literally just one way to solve a problem in just about every case no it's yeah there's only one way to solve it I, and that's that's the underlying theme. Like, I don't necessarily call you a hypocrite for for Dark Souls of trial and error. And here's the thing, because once you learn the mechanics of a game like Dark Souls or any game like a Mega Man mm-hmm. or so many other titles that like really try to enforce difficulty is once you establish controls, unless you put in some stupid gimmick, it's up to the player the way that they find the way to defeat the enemy. There's not a specific set of movements that you need to do in order to overcome adversity. Right. Because when I when I started learning how to build my character, because you can build your character differently in a game like Dark Souls, you can have a different loadout in Dark Souls and you still face the same enemies, but you're still going to approach them differently. There are different ways you can overcome that barrier in front of you. A game like Oddworld says, fuck that. You're going to do this exactly the way that we made that we built this game to be taken down. And that's the only way you're going to be able to do that. And that's up to you to figure out. Some people really like that. I do not. I fucking hate it because <laughs> you're, you're telling me that it's I, it's not up to my creativity to overcome this obstacle. It's for me to figure out you the developer and what you want me to do and that that's just that's just not something that jives with me i don't want to figure out someone else's mind i want to see what i'm capable of with the tools that you're giving me maybe i can overcome something in a way that you didn't mean it to be overcome but this game does not allow that in my opinion i don't think this game really wants you to do that it wants you to do it in a very specific manner and that to me is not fun no, I, I agree. I, I think that we, uh, neither one of yeah, us right are, are the target audience for this game no, at all. No, no. One thing I do want to mention, I, I said this about the checkpoints and I just want to say what bothered me so much about the checkpoints. Mm. So in this game, the, the, the point is to rescue the Mudokans. So a good thing about this is that in order to get the good ending, you only need to rescue 50. There's 99. 50 sounds like a lot, but if you want to beat the game, you you get quite a few. You get like 20, 25. You, you have to get mandatory. Mm-hmm. You can find quite a few other ones just by exploring, doing very basic exploring and going into those areas and doing their little puzzles, which aren't incredibly hard. Once you learn what the game wants you to do, they're still irritating. You still got to learn them and do them precisely, as we already mentioned. But uh, you only need 50 to get the good ending. The, the bad ending is anything less than 50. And you get some bo- uh, bennies for getting all 99 of them. It's nothing spectacular. So there is a low threshold for what this game actually expects you to do, which is fine. The checkpoints are quite generous and you can save at any point, but it only it saves to your most recent checkpoint. So this is where I'm going to come in with my criticisms. A lot of these places that you can rescue the Mudokans, they are they are secret areas. 
So what you have to do is you go into this area, you find your little bird portal. Abe has to jump in there, which is something you don't learn you can do if you're just playing this with, you know, without a manual manual or a guide until like stage three. When you get to the the area with all the Mutacons and stuff where you, you learn about your culture and stuff, that's when the game starts telling you that's when it actually tells you you can take over an enemy, which I found out on accident. And that's where you find out that the game tells you that Abe can jump through these portals and not just your little buddies. But you can jump through these portals and you find them and you can rescue them and then you go back to the world to continue your mission. But if you die. All of that progress, if you found secrets and you rescue your little Mutacom buddies in these secret areas is erased so you can start at the beginning of a checkpoint find a secret save mutacons find another secret save mutacons get to the very end of that segment and die because I, you just ran off a cliff trying to jump and then you have to do both of those secret areas over again regardless if you saved or not and then there's no knowing if the checkpoint you got is actually a save point because I was like running low on time. I made it into another area. And so I died to see if I could was add a new checkpoint because that's the only way that the game lets you know. So I saved the game. And then when I came back a day later to play it, the game put me back to the previous checkpoint because the checkpoint in which I saved it was only a place where you get respawned after you die and not a location that would load after you save the game. And so it just like I. It made exploring, which what this game seems to want you to do is to explore and find weird stuff. And I don't know some of these secrets. You're just not going to inherently know how to find you. I think you need a guide or or something, because I like some of these places like you have to duck and there's a ladder well behind certain objects in the environment. And I'm like, that's that's crazy. But it's <laughs> it just doesn't work. And I, I hated like, oh, I found a secret. Let me go save these people. And then I die. I was like, I got to go save them again. I got to go save them again. And then I start dying in the secret area. I'm like, I, I, want, I just want to quit. I want to quit everything. I, I hate my life. I hate this game. I, I hate everything about it. I just want to turn this off, sit in the silence, go into the little corner over there and cry and question my life decisions. That's how this game made me feel. Yeah. Because that stupid checkpoint system. Yeah. Yeah. I have limited lives. So. And, and yeah. This, uh, man so i don't even i don't even know how to like say this so the the secret areas in theory again secret areas can be cool um i think the implementation as you mentioned was generally pretty bad and and also the fact that uh, like some of the you know the the mudokons that you have to save are in these places you would never think to look i mean and i guess i guess you could argue right that that uh encourages replays especially because if you know what you're doing you can actually get through this game in about like three hours yeah which is you know yeah. not, not very long not bad yeah so i mean if you if you liked the game enough it's probably not a huge ask to go and do another run to see if you can do better as far as finding mutacons that you missed or what have you but yeah I, I think it's one thing to have like secret and this this applies to just games in general it's not just this game but i, I don't mind like well hidden secrets if it's something that's just like oh this was a nice neat little bonus that i found isn't that cool not like man this is a thing that i actually kind of need like that that feels not great and it's funny because like one of the very first secret areas where there's like three mudicons just like hanging out i a hundred percent missed like it was right as you're leaving 
rupture farms and you're going up that little like elevator and there is uh, an enemy sleeping on a ledge that you go by as you go up the elevator. And evidently, because I, I looked at this and I watched a long play afterwards, that apparently you can go all the way up on the elevator. And then if you jump off to the right off of the elevator, so it's a blind jump, you will land on the platform where that sleeping enemy was, which you then have to quickly move off the screen so that he doesn't kill you. If you do all of that, that leads you to this little area where there's just three Mutacons just chilling. I would have never in a million years thought to do that. And that's just like one example. Just for the sake of like transparency, you were saying how this game made you feel <laughs> while you were playing it. This, I, I could not, and I said this to Chris in, in, our, in our Discord channel, that I, I can't play this game for more than like 15 or 20 minutes at a time. I, like I, I physically cannot do it. Like I tried. I really, I really did. But A, it just doesn't hold my attention because the gameplay to me is just not compelling overall. So I was kind of just forcing myself to do it. So that's already not a great start. But with these generally pretty frustrating design decisions all put together, I could really only stomach like about 15 or 20 minutes consecutively before I had to put it down and honestly just grab like a palate cleanser. Like I would go and put it down and just play literally anything else because I was just like, I'm done. I, I can't do it. Like I, I, I could only do this for this long, which, you know, I guess is kind of an indictment of the game overall. But again, like you're kind of talking while well, you're not talking, you're, you're listening to, but I mean, if you're pretending you're talking with us, that's fine too. But you're listening to two people who this game was not made for like 0%. Ultimately you're getting a very skewed take on this, but I guess it is what it is. Like that's, that's why you're here, right? You want to hear what we have to say about it. And I'm sure that all of the uh, Abe's Odyssey fans out there are probably, well, honestly, they probably already checked out by now. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's a secret on the very first screen of the game, right? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. The very first screen of the game, you can duck and go down some stairs and there's a, there's a secret area for you to figure out. Nope. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It's one of those kind of games. Which again, like if, if this is your jam, yeah. then there's a lot of like extra things for you to find. Like you could argue that that contributes to the game's replayability, which for like a three ish hour game is on it, probably a good thing. Yeah. But that that's contingent upon you as the player actually enjoying the gameplay in the first place, which we clearly did not. <sighs> but I do want to I think we've been too negative here. I'm I'm ready to wash away the negative. I'm glad I got to to vent on this game a little bit. Let's talk about the graphics. Let's talk about how this game looks. Sure. Now, you said you you played this on the PS1. Mm -hmm. Played the PS1 version. Uh, I'm assuming you did you play this by any means necessary or did you play this on a PS1? Uh no, I I played this via alternative means, let's say. Ah. Yes. So what are your impressions of, of the graphics here? Okay, so on this point, I think I think you're right. I, I can leave a lot of the general negativity behind because okay. overall, I actually I actually really like this game's presentation for the most part, mm. especially of the time, like reading some of those reviews from when this was released, like I can abs I can absolutely see like why they were saying this is probably one of the best looking games they had seen in a while. 
because I does I do think it does really nail the the aesthetic that they were going for. And I I'm always I know I mentioned earlier that I'm always like I have a special place for like this era of like cinematics and cutscenes. I think this game does those very well. I think they're very well rendered. They're presented extremely well. And the other thing that I do like, I will say, because the the, the game ha- generally has, you know, sort of static backgrounds. We keep saying screens, and there's a reason for that, because much like a lot of older, like even games that preceded this game, it's very screen based. So it's not like, a, you know, a continuous platformer level that will just continue scrolling as you move like a like a mario or something they're they're set screens and when you move off the screen it transitions to the next screen and so they're all static backgrounds for the most part in that way and one thing and this probably sounds like a really minor thing but it it sticks in my head because i just i just really appreciate it is i always love it when games especially of this era because you wouldn't really see it a lot after this um just because technology got better but i i love the seamless transitions between a cutscene and then the actual like level and one of the first places that you see that that at least i can remember is when you get to i don't even know what to call it it's it's kind of like a not a train but a, a futuristic gondola let's say <laughs> When, when you mm. go into that door with the big number one on it and it's a big like orb shaped thingy and then you kind of like shoot down a tube to get to the next area when you enter it you, you it's kind of a hard cut to a cut scene so there's not really a great smooth transition there but after that cut scene ends the ending frame of the cut scene exactly matches the static level layout for that screen that you end up on and so it all looks very seamless and like i really love it when games around this time did that and there are others that have done it pretty well as well but i just really like that transition because it's all very smooth and it keeps everything sort of like it it keeps that suspension of disbelief going right like you're not like okay i'm in cutscene okay now i'm in game like it's all just sort of transitions very like cleanly and i just i really appreciate that it does that i'm 100 percent with you here and and just to like let anyone who has not played this game know this game has pre-rendered graphics up the ass like the entire game is Mm pre-rendered and normally i i hammer on pre-rendered but here i think the fluidity of the animation really lends to the way this game looks because everything moves very well there's a lot of frames of animation for every single, you know, creature enemy. Abe has a lot of frames of animation. Even playing this on a CRT, it's great. Like those backgrounds, they're, they're, CR, they're pre-rendered backgrounds that you'd see in like Resident Evil or Final Fantasy VII. And this is right around that same time, so that makes sense. So you don't get a lot of movement unless you get a sprite in the background doing something. So don't expect a lot of parallax scrolling that you would get in like the SNES version. Yes, it has that, but it's... It's it's more kind of like this this pre-rendered thing against more pre-rendered stuff. And it, yeah, it but it still looks phenomenal, especially in those areas that you're you're running those pure platforming levels that actually are kind of fun where everything is shadows. Those things are really cool uh, and it, it, it just looks brilliant. And you're you're right. Those seamless transitions between you're, you're going through this gondola or whatever from one section to another and how it just interacts with the overall environment is brilliant. 
And I think like I, I need to say I had to look at the date again. This came out in 1997, mm-hmm. which was the same year as Final Fantasy seven. And Final Fantasy seven was the game that got a lot of acclaim for being this the CG tour de force. Yo, the cinematic cutscenes in this game, the CG, the full motion video looks way better than anything you can find in Final Fantasy seven. Yep. It's I would agree. Yeah. It's far and away the, the superior visual product. And that even comes down to the way the game looks in general. I think that this this game is one of those visual masterpieces. I think they hit the environments right. I think they get their their vision on how they want everything to look like dead on. Do I stylistically like it? No, I don't care for the way that Abe looks or the creature designs look. It seems like it's gross and weird for the sake of being gross and weird. And that's something I've kind of grown out of. And I don't even think I liked it back in the day. It's just it's very unsettling. And I, I don't like it. But if I move away from the stylistic choice in, in terms of how overall it's, it was designed and how it presents itself, it's it's an A plus effort. It's definitely at the top of the stack. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I and I'm with you on that one. I and I think that's part of the reason that I've always stayed away from slash bounced off of this game is that the art direction just never really works for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's done well, but it's not a style that I like. So yeah, it was it was never something that was really appealing to me. But personal like subjective opinion aside, like yeah, I, I I think the presentation here is really top notch. And so I can see why the reviewers at that time would go to great lengths to point that out, because uh, as you said, I think that's a really great comparison because everybody likes to hold Final Fantasy seven up on this pedestal. And for many reasons, I don't think it deserves it. But this is one of those where this game, which comparatively. I'm not going to say it's obscure, but it's. It is nowhere near as well known as something like FF7. Like it did not have the same sort of like level of cultural permeation. The legacy is more subdued. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But this game definitely, in my opinion, is head and shoulders above what, you know, FF7 was able to pull off in the same year. I actually don't have many negative things to say honestly about the about the graphics uh other than like i said i just don't think the the style is not really for me but i think what is there is very well done and and one last point because i think we're probably about ready to wrap this section up is even though i don't necessarily like it i i really do have to appreciate the consistency that the game has in terms of it's overall like creature and world design like it does it does really stick with this very specific kind of aesthetic and it really runs with it it's in a lot of ways it is very much like larger than life like there's a lot of things that are very i won't say like necessarily like bombastic or anything but it absolutely doubles down on what it's trying to do visually and i i do have to respect it for that yeah, I will say the environments are, are varied as well. Like when you spend yeah. all that time in Rupture Farms and then you you get out to like Abe, Abe's ancestral home and 
or where they are out in the country, I guess. I guess that's what he's going. He's going out there to be in rural Abeville. But the progression of leaving and coming back and then like especially when you return because you're leaving, you're going out to essentially nature and then you're going nature back to rupture farms. And like those environments are are varied. But like you said, that that aesthetic is very consistent and doesn't deviate from what the overall vision appears to be. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I really do think it's great. And I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. So I, I do think it is a good point to to wrap the graphics, uh, the the visual aspect up here. But yeah, Abe's Odyssey is is definitely something that that works well. Even if you no, know I'll, I'll just add one more thing to it. And I think the thing is, is that cinematic platformers they do look very good. But I think that because they are so fluid and because of the way that they are. And that you have to get every single frame of animation. You have to be very specific in how it looks on every frame for every movement. It actually comes at a detriment to the gameplay. Like that gets sacrificed in the name of making the game look better. And I do think that happened here in Abe's Odyssey. Yeah, I I would tend to agree with that. But yeah, I think uh, I think overall general gist, very strong art direction. So yeah, a, a plus there. Yeah, but yeah, we'll leave it at that. Uh, let's move over into the the sound here. I'll start out with this one. I don't remember any music. I I don't either. And, and the music, <laughs> yeah, I I just don't remember it. The composer of the of the music here is Josh Gabriel. I know it starts out with a bunch of sounds and stuff like that at that the intro screen. If you want to call that music, I guess it's appropriate. I'm not going to say it's bad because I don't remember it just irritating me. I remember like when you're running away, you have some drums and stuff like that. It's it's it, it it does bring the tension up. It does fit the mood. I just I can't remember it for the life of me. But where I do want to give a lot of credit, which normally we don't here, we usually focus on the music aspect when it comes to sound is the sound design. The sound design is by Ellen Mayers. The sound design in this game is is really good. It makes great use of stereo sound. If you know an enemy's on the screen, it's going to come out of the left side of your screen and that could be on a the next screen. And that's vital to knowing when the enemy's running around and how close it gets to you, it use very it makes very good use of dynamic sound and where that enemy on the next screen might be in relation to you, which can dictate about how to move to the next screen or how to maneuver around. So right there, that's really good. Uh, the voices, I think, are, are really cute. Uh, they're, they're really entertaining, especially when you take over, I guess, the slags. Mm-hmm. And you can like talk to your dogs and say, like, here, boy, and get them and stuff like that. It's like and just the way that. Abe talks to he talks to the motocons, of course, like, hello and follow me and wait and makes the growl and he's angry. I think the sound design is it, it puts a smile on my face, even though the rest of the game doesn't. It makes me sad. But the sound design is 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 right there on par with the graphics, not so much the music, but the overall sound design, I think, was was quite brilliant. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think so. It's funny because as we're talking, I'm I'm literally going and loading up the ost for this because i'm like i don't i don't remember what this game even sounds like <laughs> to its credit because I, I i don't think either one of us are saying it's bad by any stretch but it's i'm not no it's just not it's not very memorable but i i'm i'm almost inclined to say that that's not necessarily a bad thing and the reason i'm going to say that is because i think a game like this especially because it is much more 
methodical. It's much more calculated in its approach to its gameplay, generally speaking. You're not typically going to have a lot of very like in your face, like musical tracks that you're going to, you know, remember. There's not a lot of earworms here, I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah, what it does do, I think it does very well. And that is it is it is atmospheric. And I think it complements the environments that Abe is going through, as well as just the the general, you know, sort of gameplay. So I think it does nail that. But I don't think at any point it was trying. I, I almost want to say that I don't think it was trying to be memorable. I think it was composed in a way to be non-intrusive. And in that way, I think it succeeds. And, and I think a lot of the compositions are very well done in that they're appropriate for the settings. Like when you get in, like the first area you go through with rupture farms, uh, a lot of the tracks that you'll end up getting, even though they're not, you know, really upfront, but if you go and listen to them again, you get a lot of sort of like industrial influence. There's a lot of like low sort of hums and, and like rhythmic beats in the background. And so I think it does really fit the setting very well. It's just not something that, you know, you're not going to walk up to someone and be like, hey, man, like, remember that track from Abe's Odyssey? That one's a banger. Like this bloody tears. This is not is what I'm saying. Not at all. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the, the soundtrack's not front and center and no. nor should it be. I think if the soundtrack was front and center in this game, it would it would have turned me off quicker uh, just because. Well, it depends on how they implemented it, of course, but. Yeah, this is not the kind of game you want that there. You definitely want to make the best use of the game's sound and the sound capability that that you have available to you. And I think they did a really good job there. I think that was important. And that's what they did. Yeah, absolutely. And and as far as like the sound design goes, I honestly, I don't really have a whole lot to add there. I I, I'm kind of with you on all that. I think it's very well done as much as I griped about you know, having to do the very specific button combo inputs like every time I, I did still really like the the voice samples and stuff like that. Like they're they're actually like borderline cutesy in a way. But yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that. So no, I think, uh, hmm. you know, like high marks all around in that category. Yes. And that about leads us to where we are going to wrap it up. But before we do, we are going to give some opinions from our Patreons Mm. in a section we like to call our Patreon pontifications, where we reach out to the members of our Discord who are patrons, and they tell us what they thought of the game, either recently or when they played it growing up. It's whatever they want to say about it, actually. And you can do this, too. Once again, you can join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month if you go to Linktree slash retro hangover that's linktr.ee slash retro hangover click on the patreon link i'm sure it's also patreon.com slash retro hangover but if you want your thoughts or opinions on a game that might be coming up in the show uh, you can just join the patreon join our discord go to patreon pontifications and see what the upcoming game is and we'll we'll we will read your comment on the show much like i am going to read the comment from our friend adam from the good the bad and the backlog podcast and he says I liked Odd World because you could fart, but I wasn't smart enough to get far at all as a kid. Actually, come to think of it, I found it infuriatingly difficult, which was a shame because I liked farting. Thank you, Adam. And <laughs> yeah, farting doesn't do anything. No. Except like close out some puzzles later. Yeah, it's, it's kind of dumb. 
Next up on the list, we have the one and only quiz master, the masked Keaton. And he says, my friend Tim and I played this in middle school or maybe high school. It was a lot of fun, but it was very difficult. After we beat it the first time, we thought it would be fun to play it again, but this time killing the creatures that we were supposed to save. When we beat it that time, the game told us that it knew we did that on purpose, and then it gave us infinite grenades for our next playthrough. Neat! I actually didn't know it would do that. That's, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Let me read that again. We thought it would be fun to play. Oh, wow. That is cool. Okay. Wow. Yeah, need, that's grim. But yeah, this game is grim <laughs> when you really think about it. It's yeah. grim and dark. All right, next over to Tony G, our resident wolfman, who's always hanging out over there in, in our discourse over playing games for you all. Uh, and Tony G says that I used to play this game at Toys R Us when I was a kid. Never saw the appeal, mostly because my mom pointed out she would never buy a game that I couldn't even beat one level in. <laughs> So in essence, <laughs> this game was my first get good, and my mom was my first bully. Unlocked video game trauma. Let me say that again, because I don't think I, I really got the feeling there. Unlocked video game trauma. There, That's better. Hopefully this episode changes my mind, or at least my diaper. I don't think we have. All right. Back to you, <laughs> no, Shane. No, I don't, I don't think we have. I also just, no. I love that your mom was just like, I'm not going to buy you a game you suck at. That's, that's yeah, you suck, kid. No. Uh, all right. And, and last but definitely not least, we have the the reason that we're even here talking about this game today. Uh, Stud still smash the milkman. He says, I was fairly young when Oddworld came out, maybe eight or nine. I think that's part of the reason I liked it so much. I never beat it and still haven't despite having the re-release, but it had lots of farts, exploding body parts, and weird-ass creatures called scrabs. How can you not love that? At least, as a kid. I mean, that's, you know, that's fair. I did not love it. <laughs> uh, which, which kind of ties in nicely to the end of the episode. By the way, thank you, Studsil Smash, for nominating this game. Uh, and thank you all the patrons for voting for this, because I, I hope it gave you a good ex episode. If it didn't, hey, you only have yourselves to blame. That's true. So let, let's get into whether or not this game holds up today in our own opinion. I'll start this one off, Shane, and you can you can bring this one home. All right. I will say this. I can look at this game and I can see a lot of good things happening. I think we gave this game quite a bit of praise when it comes to this game's presentation in terms of how this game looks visually and how in terms of how this game sounds looks really good. The lore that it builds up, there's definitely a lot of things going for it. But the gameplay is going for a very specific audience. And I could say it's niche. 3.5 million people did buy the game. It sold very well. It had a lot of appeal. But all I'm hearing really from a lot of people is this was really difficult and I didn't make it very far. So I think that that hype really drove it. And I don't think the sales for the subsequent games in the series were necessarily all that high. I could be wrong. I need to look that up. But I think the reason for that is this is that when you make a game this difficult and you make a game this precise, when you make a game just all about what these cinematic platformers are, you're going to turn off people who, who don't like that. And naturally, not every game is for everybody. And this game is definitely not for me. I swear to God, I wanted to just leave my house and call up Shane and be like, you know what? 
I don't want to do this podcast anymore because of <laughs> Abe's Odyssey. I was so pissed at this game. It made me fucking hate life. It made me question life decisions. I wasn't joking when I said in gameplay, like I just like just did not want to touch this anymore. I didn't want to go near it. It, it just repelled me and made me reticent to touch a controller, to do anything, to progress in any single other way. Like, it was just like, you got to beat this game, Chris, because if you don't beat this game, how are you going to talk about it? But you hate this game. This game is going to obsess. You have to have your phone out and watch someone else play this game so you can do it. Don't you suck? You suck, don't you? You can't do this on your own. And that's the entire feeling I got. And every single time I died and every single time I had to go back and do the same fucking segment over again because I already did it. and It took me five minutes and then I couldn't do it again because I didn't press triangle at the right fucking time to jump over a platform and died for the fucking 10th time over and over and over and over and over again. You know what? No, this game does not hold up today. Fuck this game. Fucking burn it. I never want to play another game in the Abe's Odd World series ever fucking again. I can understand if you like it, though. I can see the good qualities in it. I can under I can even understand if you told me it was a good game. I can completely understand it, but not for me. This game is bad. This game is horrible. Get it away from me. I'm throwing garlic at it. I'm putting a cross at it. I'm burning it in fire. I'm cutting off his metaphorical head. Fuck this game. Shane? See, I think this is nice because I feel like we're, we're bringing balance to things. You know, I, I've been generally more negative the, the whole episode and you've been the voice of reason in a lot of ways. And mm. and now you, you know, just shit yourself. And so now I'm going to be the one that's a little more level headed, maybe. So, all right, here's the thing. Do I feel like this game holds up? today i do not because i don't think it did in the first place um as far as listen we're here to play games right i mean with the exception of of some things like certain later metal gear games because somebody just really wants to be a movie director but i digress mm -hmm. generally we're here to play games not just watch them and so that's you know probably a big reason why most of our episodes the the, the chonkiest bit, the, the thickest segment, if you will, tends to be the gameplay. Because that's what we're here for, is to play the game. In Abe's Odyssey, that is the worst part of the game, is the gameplay. As we've made pretty evident, there are a lot of really positive things going for this game. I really dig the, the plot and the world building. I think it's excellent. I think the visual presentation is spot on. The sound design is expertly crafted, but the gameplay just sucks balls. And that's, that's not, that drags everything else down. It does. Now it, it, talking about, does this game hold up today? Like if someone's going to go and play this today, is it worth their time? It, it That's highly dependent. I'm not going to give you a blanket answer because in this particular case, it really, really does come down to what kind of player you are. If you like this kind of game, like if you like this sort of puzzle platformer style with very specific solutions and like unforgiving gameplay like this, then sure. Yeah. I mean, it got, it got a, there was a re-release, right? So like you can even, I would probably suggest just playing it that way, but even if you didn't, 
it's still perfectly serviceable. Like the original PlayStation one version, or if you go back to play the original PC version, although honestly, I probably wouldn't recommend that it's, it's still totally playable today. If, if this is your style of game and even though it sold a bunch of copies, I would still argue that I think people that are really that like, this is their jam, I think are the minority. So I feel like most people that are hearing this are going to be in the same camp we are. Maybe, maybe not to the same degree. Um, let's say maybe apathetic at best, right? Maybe not like viciously negative like I think we've generally been. Yeah. But like, I think it's a minority of people that this is going to be something that they're going to be able to sit down with today and be like, I, I enjoyed my time with that. I am glad that I spent time playing this game. So that's, that's my take. Like, I think it holds up if you're that specific kind of person. If, however, you are in the majority of human beings, then probably not. And a, a, a re-release is not going to fix that. You're not even playing video games at that point. Like, the majority of people aren't even playing video games, but the majority of people who are playing video games, stay, stay the fuck away. Stay the fuck away. Yeah. <sighs> it, it, is, it is very much of its time, and it's, it's not something that... Uh, it's it's not something that I think most people are going to get a lot of enjoyment out of today. Like if you, if man, if you really want to know what's going on in Abe's Odyssey, you're probably just better off watching a long play, <laughs> to be honest. Or hell, just watch the cutscenes. Like you know, yeah, cutscenes that still look good today. They still do. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well. There we go. I, you know what? It's funny because uh, at the beginning of this episode, before we hit the ye old record button, I said, you know what? I, this might be a sub one hour episode for the first time in a while. And yet, ah! yet here we are. <laughs> so, so it turns out we actually had more to say about this game than we initially thought, because I'll be honest, I came into this one being like, I think this episode's going to suck. I told Chris this. I was like, I don't know, man, this this might not be a good one because I don't know what the hell I'm going to say about this. But, you know, I, I think once we got into the groove of things, I think we were able to to really pull out some some good points. And by and large, I, I think we we I, I think we have a fair and balanced take on it. I, I think we gave it its praise where necessary. I don't know. You, you think I'm you think I'm I think I'm right about that. We report you decide. There you go. <laughs> Well, at any rate, we've made it. We're here. We've done it. I, I'm never going to look at this game again. No. And for the love of God, please, n no one recommend the sequel or anything to us for just please, please don't do that. Never. Please. We know that you guys like us more than that. So please, please don't. But at any rate, if you're listening to this, then that would probably mean that you've already found us. You're here. You, you did it. You did the Hi. hard part, you know? And, and now you're here and you're just along for the ride. So if this happens to be your first episode, congratulations, you survived. Uh, I'll say that. <laughs> and if, you know, if you're still sticking with us and you're like, you know what? I kind of, I want to know more. I want to hear more from these two gentlemen. I want to know what they have to say about the Vigi games. Well, we've got that for you. We've got a, a sizable backlog at this point. As Chris mentioned earlier, you can find uh, all of that good stuff, whether it's our previous episodes on the main show feed or the, the Patreon or perhaps our merch store 
or all of our socials or YouTube channel. They got a whole bunch of goodies for you. And it's all at that one convenient link tree. So again, that is linktree slash retro hangover, L I N K T R dot E E slash retro hangover. And uh, you, you tap, tap some buttons, find some things there. There's all the things for you there. Apart from this here show that we do, as well as, you know, all of the fantastic bonus content that we put out for our patrons. Uh, we also dabble, one might say, in, in a bit of the, the streaming. Uh, and so, Chris, where, where can people find us doing that, should they be so inclined? So if you have it over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can find us at Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard or Daylight, whatever we are. Just 9 o'clock Eastern Time, U.S., and we will be playing a game of some sort. You can come out there, hang out. We ask questions about, you know, what kind of candy we want to eat or kind of burger we want to stuff our face with. You, you never know. We have great conversations about these kind of things, and you can only find them if you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time for you to enjoy. And I hope to see you there. Great community. Most of them are in the discord, but you can go there, too, if that's what you prefer. We will, however, not be playing Abe's Odyssey. I want to make that very no, clear. Never. <laughs> Absolutely not. Never, ever, ever. No. Uh, Don't even ask us. Well, on that uplifting note, until next time. Play with your I want to go into a corner and cry myself to death joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part, no added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.